This is Adapted with Anna and Sam. We love books and we love movies. Warning, here be spoilers. Welcome to Adapted with Anna and Sam. I'm Anna. And I'm Sam. In this podcast, we talk about a book, we talk about a movie or TV show based on that book, we play some fun games, and we encourage you to read and watch along with us. This episode, we are talking about young adult novel Howl's Moving Castle by Diana Wynne-Jones and director Hayao Miyazaki's... I I know I messed that up. Hayao? It was a valiant effort? Let's just acknowledge that my pronunciation is insulting and move on. All right. Uh, Hayao Miyazaki's animated adaptation for Japan's legendary Ghibli Studios. And we are joined by a very special guest, the foremost expert on Studio Ghibli. No, I'm just kidding. It's my sister, Jess. Welcome, Jess. Hi, everyone. I'm Jess. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Jess, thank you so much for joining us. We always like to start with a quick take. So what's your quick take on Howl's Moving Castle? Oh, my quick take is about six hours long, so buckle in, everybody. <laughs> it's only the short version, and you will not get pee breaks. Okay. All right. <laughs> it's a podcast. They can pause us whenever they want to. No, I'm not going to allow that. <laughs> Some freaky, right. like, animated so Ghostbusters on... hand through the radio turns the... <laughs> Sorry, yes, go ahead, Jess. It's a... It's a... Yes. <laughs> I thought I had something funny to say there, but I don't. So I'm just going to keep going with it. All right. Uh, My quick take on Howl's Moving Castle. Studio Ghibli takes a very British fairy tale and creates a rich visual tapestry that takes the original themes of self-acceptance and adds unique Ghibli flavor and anti-war messaging. Okay. That's That's true. It does. That's like an essay title right there. (laughs) Sam, what's your quick take? Essay. I will. Yeah, no, that's. That's all I got right now. Uh, So my quick take is, where has Diana Wynne-Jones been all of my life? I cannot wait to introduce my nieces to her because she is just fantastic. And I definitely want them growing up on her unlike I did. I have a very similar reaction. Like, I'm reading the book. I was actually really mad. Right? I'm like, why didn't I read this 25 years ago? This is... And I've been reading. I've been reading a lot of Diana Wynne-Jones since I've read Howl's Moving Castle. And I'm like, I cannot believe I missed out on all of these books. She's so good. She's so good. She had so many... British. Yeah. Right? Magic. Yep. uh, Fun girl-led stories. Yeah. Like, fits so many of my... So many. And I I didn't discover her until... It's it's such a shame. Well, I will share her with my children, and you can share her with your nieces. Yeah, it'll be great. We can make it better for the next generation. All by myself. And Jessica can read it to her dog. (laughs) Gout doesn't appreciate dry British humor, so. Neither does Rupert. He just screams at it. Oh, where did Rupert go? Oh, he was here. That's alarming. It's when you can't see him that he's noisiest. That's why I'm worried. (laughs) He just like leaps out of nowhere. (laughs) He's been actually relatively quiet this season. I'm a little unsure what to do about that. Uh, so you know what he does is he doesn't make noise while we're recording. He waits until I go to bed, and then at like three a.m. Uh, that's when he screams. He's changed his tactics. No, he always did both. Song of his people. Yeah, the song of his people and his people are jerks. Yeah, they are. 
Well, should we do our six degrees? Yeah. Would you like to go first, Anna? Sure. So last episode, we did The Thin Man, starring William Powell. He was also in Mr. Roberts with Jack Lemmon, who was in My Fellow Americans with Dan Aykroyd, a career highlight for both of them. (laughs) Dan Aykroyd was in Ghostbusters with Bill Murray, who was in The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, with Kate Blanchett. Who was in Elizabeth with Emily Mortimer, who of course is in Howl's Moving Castle. Very nice. And that's my six degrees. Woo! I did it. Good job. Thanks. Steve Lissou, you're going strong this season. Three for three. Uh yeah. It's um it was harder than I thought it would be, and yet not all that hard. Mm. A lot of people are in that movie. Hard if it's a work of the heart. If you, yeah, if love what you do and you'll never work a day in your life is my approach to my ridiculous six degrees challenges. I mean, yay? Yeah, I don't know. I'm like, should I be proud of you or worried for you? Ooh, I choose. (laughs) Uh, Who's next? Uh, Jess, do you want to go next? Sure. And uh, can I just say, I did spend the most time possible in preparing on the six degrees. This is so much harder than I thought it would be. I don't know how you guys do it. Yeah, that's normal. It it usually takes the most amount of time for Mm -hmm. all of us. Yep. Yep. Um, I, I, I thought, like, hey, I'll do a fun theme. I could do, like, all animated. Nope, nope, that's not going to happen. Okay, well, maybe I can do at least all actors I know. Nope, that's Mm-mm. not going to happen. <laughs> all right, I'm Googling everything. Yeah. IMDb is your friend. It really, it, it, it's your best friend. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Though I still refuse to download the app. What does that get you? A pain in the ass. <laughs> okay, then. <laughs> all right, so starting with uh, The Thin Man, I had started with Myrna Loy, mm-hmm. uh, who was also in Airport in 1975 with Charlton Heston, nice. uh, who was in the animated Hercules, so I did get some animated movies in oh, there. Good for you. Um, he was the narrator. Right. It's, it has been a long time since I've seen that movie, oh God, to so, be honest. Um, I was in Think Geek the other day at North Shore Mall, mm-hmm. and the, the, they were playing the soundtrack to Hercules. I was like, is nobody else going to comment that it's Hercules going the distance right now? Anyone? Hello? Bueller? Bueller? No, nothing. Wow. I got okay. nothing. Yeah. It, that is not, uh, not, not Disney's A- A-list. No. There. I mean, it's not terrible, but it's not their best work. I think it is terrible. I'm going to go out and live and say I think it's terrible. <laughs> Uh, I need to get jazzed up. I will listen to Go the Distance. And then I will also listen to Cakes Going the Distance. And I'll compare and contrast. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Uh, so who else is in... Who else, what, what? Tarzan? No. What, what are we talking about? Hercules. Was in, Hercules. Uh, Hercules with Amanda Plummer. Yes. So, uh, and she was also in Pulp Fiction as Honey Bunny um, with Bruce Willis, who was also in The Kid as Russ... I cannot read my handwriting. It looks like it says Russ Dorito. I don't think that's correct. This is why I type things. That is a good idea. So he plays Russ with Emily Mortimer, who was in House Moving Castle. There you go. Uh, Amanda Plummer was in The Fisher King. She was. And was fantastic. And that is a fantastic and underrated movie. She was also in The Prophecy. And she was also I Married an Ex-Murder. Yes, she was. I love that movie. That is a great movie, and it is not based on a book. I know. That's so sad. Is The Fisher King based on a book? I don't remember. I don't think so. I I think we I think we looked this up last time, and it's it's not. Oh, man. Yeah. Yep. All right, it's my turn. It's your turn. All right, so I started with Myrna Loy as well. 
She was in Mr. Blanding's Builds His Dream House with Cary Grant. Oh. I love Cary Grant. I just yeah. rewatched Charade the other day, and I was like, I love this movie. Um, Cary Grant was in Bringing Up Baby with Katherine Hepburn. Katherine Hepburn was in Strange Door with Jack Carson. Jack Carson was in The Stand-In with Humphrey Bogart. Humphrey Bogart was in To Have and Have Not with Lauren Bacall. And Lauren Bacall uh, was in Howl's Moving Castle. Well done. Uh, thank you. Well done indeed. Um, I was going to say, you were doing a lot of like black and white movies. How are you going to get there? And you did. I Lauren did. Bacall. Well done. Thank you very much. Well done. Um, oh, man. It's been a while since I've pulled out my Katherine Hepburn impression. And I think it's going to continue to be a while. I'm not going to subject you guys to that. I, I feel like that's a good idea. Thank you very much. I appreciate You're that. You're welcome. Um, so Anna, do the you other impressions us... you'll do to make up for it. <laughs> oh yeah, no. I mean, There's at some more. point, I'll probably do like Brian Blessed or something totally inappropriate. So oh yeah, I've I always mean, got those in my back. She pulls pocket. something out every episode. I am ridiculous. <laughs> I think that's the appeal of listening. I don't know. <laughs> I just like listening to us because I like us. <laughs> <laughs> I like listening to us because you live too far away now, and this is how I like. Aww. Make up for not seeing you all the time. So I just listen to your voice. You guys, because I was looking for my perfect moment to annoy myself onto your podcast. <laughs> hey, you know, if this goes well, Jess, this could be a, a repeat feature. You can come right? back and do more. Um, I don't know. Is there anything else that you love as much as you love Howl's Moving Castle? Oh, I don't know. Maybe <clears throat> Last Unicorn. I don't know. I can't think of any. Last Unicorn would actually yeah, be a could great probably one. A few suggestions. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> All right. nice. All right, okay. We'll, we'll keep it. that in mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, well, well uh, hinted. Yeah. Okay. So, um, uh, Anna, do you want to give us your book report? I would love to. Awesome. So. Howl's Moving Castle by Diana Wynne-Jones was published in 1986, so I really should have read this in the 90s when right? I was prowling the fantasy novels in the young adult section Perfect of my local library. Perfect age for it at I literally point. used to go to the right. library after school and just, like, walk around and pull out books based on their covers, and I, I just... This I, would have been perfect. I don't know how I never came across this one. I think my library may have failed me, and I really don't like laying the blame on libraries because no. they're awesome, but... You know, I buy... I, I, um, I'm sad. I blame the the buyer for the not the library itself but the library buy like which the, is i think also like someone who works for the library they maybe may maybe because it was a british book it just didn't maybe. come over here as yeah. much i don't know like i don't, I don't so know i blame like, my parents for not raising me in english there you go that's fair that's fair them for a lot of things so I, yeah <laughs> yeah that's yeah jess let's blame them you know they both listen to the podcast now so I now will take the time to address all of my parental complaints. <laughs> the year is 1992. I am nine years old. My mother... T- no, I'm not going to Okay. Back to the book. Back to the book. Um, okay. So the story is set in a land called Ingari, Ingari, where magic is real and your destiny can be defined by your birth order. Our young heroine is Sophie Hatter. Because she's the oldest of three girls, Sophie believes that she is destined to be a failure. I'm really glad that I'm not the eldest of three girls. I'm only the eldest of two, and one of them is a boy. Yeah, there's no magic in that um, scenario. It's when you have three of something that, like, each of them has to go on the quest, and the first two fail, and only the third one succeeds. Yeah, I always like that part of fairy tales. Yeah, fairy tales are full of crap, Jessica. Ah! Just so you know. Listen, I'm holding out for my talking donkey, and you can't stop me. I'm holding out for the TARDIS (laughs) to show up, so... 
Uh, after Sophie's father dies, her not-evil stepmother sends her two younger sisters to be apprenticed. Her beautiful, clever sister, Letty, goes to a pastry bakery, and the youngest, Martha, is apprenticed to a witch, while Sophie stays home to work in the family hat shop. Sophie is skilled with her needle, but soon finds life working in the hat shop dull. She finds herself talking to the hats and describing their fortunes to them. But she does hear gossip from co customers. The Witch of the Waste is back, and the Wizard Howl is on the hunt for young girls' hearts to eat. Now trouble comes to Sophie out of the blue. A rich and glamorous woman storms into the shop one day and accuses Sophie of setting herself up against her, the Witch of the Waste. She casts a spell on Sophie, making her look and feel 90 years old. And part of the spell is that Sophie can't tell anybody about it. Since Sophie can't explain to her family, she does the reasonable thing. She packs a light snack and just walks out of town. That was, like, the best. She's just like, I'm just not going to worry about it. She's so practical. She's like, well, I can't talk to anyone. I'm just going to go. Right? Along her path, she rescues a scarecrow and a little dog and is surprised not to receive any magical gratitude from either. But they'll both come up again later. Sophie is saved from sleeping outdoors by the arrival of Howell's ugly walking castle. She decides that as an old lady, she's safe from Howell and commands the castle to stop before she throws herself inside. The castle is actually much smaller on the inside. It's the opposite of a TARDIS. Uh, inside, she meets Howell's teenage apprentice, Michael, and Calcifer, the fire demon, who lives in the fireplace and powers the castle's movement. Calcifer is under a contract with Howell that he is bound by magic not to speak about, and he agrees to help Sophie break her curse if she'll help him and his contract with Howell. Howell himself soon appears, a handsome and vain young man. Dude, Howell's awesome. Yeah, he I is. I don't care, he's awesome. Well, no, I, I love that the, the characters in this book are very, um, very well developed. They no are. one is perfect. Everyone has their flaws. Yep. And so Howell is certainly, I mean, he's vain, but he's also just, He's hilarious. He's so funny. Oh, my God. And I love Calcifer. I think Calcifer yes. is my favorite. I want a Calcifer in my house. I, I mean, he's a, a little, fireplace. He's kind of like, he's kind of demanding. But, you know, in a really adorable fireplace way. Yeah, and he's definitely useful. I yeah. mean, there's a oh, lot yeah. of stuff you can get done when you've got a, a, a fire, fire demon, demon mm -hmm. on your side. So Sophie sets herself up as Howell's new cleaning lady, whipping the castle into shape and driving its other inhabitants insane. Uh, I lost my place, sorry. No uh, gradually, they all get used to each other and even become friends. Aww. Sophie finds out that Howell is preening, lazy, and cowardly, but he is not evil and does not eat young girls' hearts. Instead, he has a bad habit of falling in love and pursuing a girl and then losing interest as soon as she falls for him. This has caused lots of trouble, especially with the Witch of the Waste, who cursed Howell when he abandoned her. Um, so the book actually is... There's just a lot that happens. There's tons of adventures, and I can't do them all justice. I'm just going to kind of skim over the highlights here. Howell has a tantrum and covers himself in green slime. We've all been Best there. Best scene. Yep. Uh, the turnip-headed scarecrow that Sophie saved chases the castle in pursuit of her. Sophie and Michael try to interpret an overly complicated spell, even attempting to catch a falling star, before finding out it's not a spell at all, but a poem from the land of Howell's birth. Michael and Sophie accompany Howell through the enchanted castle door to his to uh, the place where he was born, a bizarre world with horseless carriages and magical boxes called whales. So that means all along, Howell should have had a Welsh accent. Mm-hmm. Hello, Christian Bale, you're Welsh. Here. Yeah, Christian Bale has a, a Welsh accent, and he didn't even do it in the movie. So, um... Uh, while they're in Wales, they meet Howell's family, as well as a beautiful, stern schoolteacher named Miss Angorian, who apparently becomes Howell's latest object of affection. 
Sophie learns that the witch's curse on Howell is tied to the poem, a real po- a real poem, like in the real world, uh, called Song by John Donne. And if you have a chance to read it, it's actually a lovely poem. John Donne is actually quite a lovely poet. Uh, 17th century, I want to say? I believe so, because we studied him very heavily in my 17th century literature class. So then bang on. Mm-hmm. Good job, Anna. Uh, back in Angari, old Sophie pretends to be Howell's mother and meets both his former magical tutor, tutor the intimidating Mrs. Penstemon, and the king himself. Mrs. Penstemon helps her to see that Sophie is herself a witch. She gives life to things without ever even knowing it. Her walking stick, the hats she sewed in the shop, the turnip-headed scarecrow. She's even sewn an enchantment into one of Howell's suits to attract women. Now, the king seems to like Sophie, and despite Sophie's best attempts to blacken Howell's name, appoints Howell royal wizard and commands Howell to find his brother, the lost prince. There's a, there's a lot of very complicated story that's happening here. Yes. I'm, I encourage you to read the book and get all of this. So the true concern is, of course, the Witch of the Waste. She kills the old but powerful Mrs. Penstemon just to lure Howell out of hiding for her funeral. It works, and Howell and the witch have an all-out magical brawl, which is another great scene. Oh, it's hilarious. The witch also relies on the magic of a fire demon, and the fight ends in a draw. The danger is still very real, and to try and evade her, they decide to relocate and move Calcifer to keep him hidden from the witch. Howell buys an empty hat shop in Market Chipping, and it is, in fact, Sophie's family's old shop and house. And so she ends up moving back into her home and pretends that it's not her old house... And it's all very interesting. Um, they turn the old hat shop into a flower shop. It is enormously successful, thanks partly to Sophie's skill at bringing things to life, and partly to an impressive field of flowers Howell has created on the edge of the waste. Sophie's entire family and the witch Mrs. Fairfax descend on the house. The attractive Miss Angorian accidentally finds her way from Wales into Angari, and then into the field of flowers next to the waste. When Sophie believes Miss Angorian has been kidnapped by the Witch of the Waste, she goes after her on her own to rescue her. She feels responsible for her. Mm-hmm. She's all, you know... She's such a good person. Caring and empathetic mm-hmm. like that. Sophie finds that the Witch has kidnapped the former royal wizard, Suleiman, and Prince Justin, and has combined parts of them in order to... Yeah, it's a really it's creepy, creepy scene. In order to make a new king of Ingari. The leftover bits were mashed together to form a man who was then transformed into a dog. That's the one that Sophie rescued. And he's since started hanging around Howell's castle. And the turnip-headed scarecrow. All the witch needs now is Howell's head. And she'll place him on the body to be the new king and she will be his queen. It's an insane plan. The witch has clearly lost her marbles. Mm-hmm. So Howell arrives to rescue Sophie. He defeats the witch without too much difficulty because she is old and weak and has been abandoned by her fire demon. Howell explains Miss Angorian is the Witch of the Waste's fire demon, so they have to hurry back to the castle and protect it and all its occupants from her. Uh, Miss Angorian manages to get her hands on Calcifer and Howell's heart because, of course, that is the contract Howell and Calcifer struck years ago. Calcifer was once a falling star that young Howell caught and Howell kept him alive and augmented his power by giving him his heart. Only Sophie, who can talk life into things, can break Calcifer from Howell's heart without killing them. Both. She releases Calcifer and gives him a thousand years of life, and returns Howell's heart to his chest. Revived, Howell easily removes the witch's heart from Miss Angorian and crushes it, killing her instantly. The various bits of Wizard Suleiman and Prince Justin are instantly put right. The Scarecrow disappears. All is well. But Howell and Sophie don't notice any of it. They can only see each other. 
Somewhere along the way, Sophie has reverted to her old young self again. And Howell says, I think we ought to live happily ever after. Uh, That line gets me every time. It's a great line. I have that line on my wedding cake because it's so good. Oh, that must have been beautiful. It was. My my wedding was a... In, in theory, it was storybook themed, but let's be honest, it was Howl's Moving Castle. <laughs> <laughs> it was also slightly damp. It was uh, also like Howl's Moving Castle. It was very damp. I did it on purpose. It- yeah, good job. That was great planning. It it just so happened to be the rainiest weekend of the year. Of course. Yeah. Every other uh, weekend, that weekend in May, every other year has been gorgeous since then. So I it was... Uh, yeah, I'm very happy about it. Hey, you know what? You ended up married to the man you love, and you're happy, and that's all that matters. That's true. We I have hate. a beautiful happy... dog together. You have a beautiful dog and a lovely home, and uh, I hear you've been doing some uh, some cutting down of trees. You're turning into our father, so good job. Um, I uh, I had to start shaving back the beard today. It was... Um... <laughs> Uh, if only that's, like, the only thing Dad was known for. It's cutting down trees and having a beard. I mean, it's at least 50%. <laughs> uh, I think you're finally getting the part where he over-explains um, books and... Oh, wait, no, we're doing that right now! Ah! Uh-oh. <laughs> it's the jam. Uh, so the... <laughs> oh, yeah, you're forgetting the jam. The jam is very important. Uh, I'll I'll get to it in time. Maybe when I retire from the same job that our father had. Nice. Yeah. Anyway, so the film Howl's Moving Castle. Yeah, Jess, would you like to tell us about Howl's Moving Castle, the film? Well, I would love to. Excellent. Please do. All right. So there are a lot of adaptations that uh, focus on being a faithful rendition of the original. For example, Panic at the Disco's Brendan Urie performed a cover of Bohemian Rhapsody that was his attempt to be as Freddie Mercury as possible, note for note, to the best of his ability. The film adaptation of Howl's Moving Castle is more like Alanis Morissette's cover of My Humps. <laughs> <laughs> I am enjoying this comparison. It, I feel like it's apt. Uh, it's the same source material. It is recognizable. It is, uh, but it's something new and wonderful that has been created that will forever touch its audience with its lovely lady lumps. (laughs) (laughs) And now that song's going to be stuck in my head all day. Thanks for that. Forever, yes. So where the book has dry British humor and beautifully casual wonders baked into its world building, the movie is, is just a tour of imagination and delight. It has heady themes and full character arcs. It has cold reminders of darker realities bedding up against the warmth of the human heart. The heroine is understated yet unstoppable. The love interest is both selfish and sympathetic. The supporting characters have heart and humor. The music acts as a supporting character. The animation is stylized and expressive, yet with strong foundations. So I really like this movie. I was going to say, it sounds like you're lukewarm about it. Yeah, I wouldn't <laughs> even go that far. <laughs> Is Jess, is this your favorite movie? I always have a really hard time answering that because I feel like there's just so many things to consider. It depends on the time when I'm watching it. It depends on what else is out. Yeah, this is my favorite movie. I'll okay, all right. Yes. Yes. Just <laughs> lean in. Just lean into it. So the main characters are more or less the same. Howl is a flighty wizard running from his responsibilities in a moving castle powered by his fire demon Calcifer and a young apprentice Markle. Um, 
Okay, hold up. The first change, Markle is a little kid, not the 15-year-old Michael we know from the book. Uh, so he's cuter and less subplot. Yeah, there's no there's no romantic subplot for no. Markle. So Michael has one. Markle does not. Um, it's very adorable, and though. He's like, yeah, he's like chubby and little like, and cute. Thing. Which Michael is not. No. But um, So that's, that's the first big change we see. Um, Howell is mostly running from his former teacher, which, um, okay, again, hold up. In the movie, Howell's teacher is Madame Solomon, an older woman who is the king's sorcerer, not Ben Solomon, who is also from Wales, because, brace yourselves, it's another hold up, there is also no Wales in the movie. Howell what? has no sister or her family. Uh, the only hint and of And there his are no Welsh was... accents anywhere! So Welsh accents! There's not even, like, I, I don't, I don't know what... It... It would sound like to... Anyway, he does have an uh, uncle who gave him a cottage to study magic, which is where he makes a deal with Calcifer and meets Sophie because of some minor time travel, which also was not in the book. Um, so Hal's running from Anna Solomon and the king because they are trying to get him to enlist in their war with a neighboring country because... All right, insert record scratch here. There's another holdup. <laughs> The main conflict in the movie isn't between Howell and the Witch of the Wastes and her fire demon. The witch is there as a scorned former lover, stalking and punishing Howell, like you do, but she is rendered harmless by Solomon and ends up joining the found family in the castle. Instead, there's a war, and all the wizards of Calgary, um, I think I meant to write Ingery there. (laughs) (laughs) Calgary, Ingery. Canada, it's all the same. Canada. Blame my handwriting for that one, because what the heck. Anyway, so... Instead, there's this war, and all the wizards of Ingri are enlisted to use their magic to fight, which turns them into mindless beasts of destruction, literally. Yeah, that whole, all of the war machines are really, like, impressive and terrifying, and there's, like, it's very, um, steampunk-esque. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, but then the, the way the, the wizards are transformed into these monsters, it's, it's really disturbing. That's one of my favorite things, is that the animation of the movie is very, um, very childlike in a lot of ways, a lot of very smooth lines, a, ver- a lot of very bright colors, but it's the exact same style that's used to create these very kind of horrific images, too. So it's there's no break from, oh, this is clearly the part of the movie that's happy and clearly the part of the movie that's scary. It all just blends together. Yeah, the animation is really beautiful. It I mean, Studio gorgeous. Ghibli's house style mm-hmm. is very clean lines and um, very, uh, you know, there's there's not a lot of... Uh, intricacy, but there's still a lot of. They're able to convey, convey a lot of emotion and depth with very simple lines and um, on a very streamlined style. And then they have these huge machines that are just. I mean, they're still in the style, but they're just like these massive juggernauts yep. of yeah. war. If if I may divert a moment from from the main thing, I do have a little anecdote I would like to share. Please um, do. One of the I don't remember if it was Miyazaki himself or one of the main animators of Studio Ghibli, but I was watching an interview at one time um, where he basically was describing that the storytelling style of Studio Ghibli, if you imagine someone clapping their hands, uh, you know, just kind of slowly, rhythmically clapping their hands, and is every time there's a clap. But the story that Ghibli is telling is all of those moments between each clap. Oh. Interesting. I'm clapping to test that theory. Are you hearing all those stories that you're killing with every clap? <laughs> <laughs> I 
I'm killed. Oh, I feel bad. I wish I was drinking. <laughs> that's 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 my first of probably many anecdotes that I will try to share. Um, so um, da 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 da. Beastless, beastless minds of destruction. Beastless minds of destruction. That's good. Yeah. Is so I'm so good at it. Uh, Howl is constantly fighting this side effect. The using magic and turning into a beast because of it. He's clinging to his own humanity and desire for freedom. This is, I think, the biggest Ghibli influence we see. Instead of one main villain, the true adversity is a flaw of human nature. For mm-hmm. anyone familiar with other Studio Ghibli films, such as Princess Mononoke or Spirited Away, you might be familiar with this. There are people who do things to create conflict of, or adversity for the hero, but there's not really ever a single bad guy that has to be defeated. Mm. Mm. I mean, and that's yeah. very true because the the witch of the waste and her fire demon are very dangerous in the book, but in the movie they're nothing. I mean, there's there's no mention of her fire demon, and the witch of the waste is is kind of an object of pity by the end. Mm-hmm. Very much so. It's all about um, just the the effects of what people do rather than what people do. Mm-hmm. It's between the claps. Oh, you brought it back. Yeah, good job. So. Instead of the fighting the Witch of the Waste, we get the lost prince of the neighboring kingdom who somehow got a curse put on him to make him, brace yourself, the turnip head scarecrow. Hey, is this a horse carriage getting robbed? Because that's another holdup. Yeah, we got turnip head, but he's really just the deuce ex machina, deuce ex machina in the movie. With a terrible haircut. So bad. No, can't all be winners. Yeah. So, turnip head, whatever. He just got the leftovers. That was leftover from, like, a broom somewhere. <laughs> Sophie breaks his curse with a kiss to reveal this actual war plot point in the last two minutes of the movie, which is fine, I guess. The story was never meant to be about him. Because, um, really, though, I shouldn't be spending so much time on these small fries because Sophie is, of course, the main big deal. Capital B, capital D. She gets cursed by the Witch of the Waste to stay an old woman like she believes she deserves to be, but also is a grade-A snark machine. Sophie is one of my all-time favorite heroines because of how strongly I relate to her. She believes she's mostly useless until she finds the strength to stand on her own. Watching her grow into the character that can fix everything is so satisfying and uplifting. She doesn't need magic powers or someone giving her dream, giving her her dreams or some dude to whisk her away. She just needs to be herself and trust herself and not let anyone else get in her way. The scene in the flower fields with Howell still gets me every time when she is her young self with him and turns back to being old as she says, Please, Howell, I know I can be of help to you, even though I'm not pretty and all I'm good for is cleaning. Right Mm -hmm. in the fields. Yeah. Yeah. So, to sum up, Howell's Moving Castle, the Studio Ghibli film, is a metaphor for the loss of childhood innocence, a commentary on the instructions we put on ourselves, a narrative on the horrors of war, and a love story cultivated between two people on separate but adjacent paths of self-growth. Aww. That's such a great summary. Well done. Thank you, Jess. I worked on it really hard and rewrote it like six times. <laughs> well, you get an A+. Plus. You do. We do it for the grades. The grades oh, yeah. and the laws. It's all about the grades. Yeah. And lols. And the lols. And the lols. Most of the lols. Oh, man. But is it time for some fun and games now? I think it might be time for some fun and games. Jess, do you want to play some fun and games with us? Wait, do you want to play some fun and games? Do you want to play some fun games? I can speak English. Just not with a Welsh accent. No. Please don't try. I won't. I can do other accents sometime if you want. Absolutely. 
I'm pretty sure you're going to pull out an Irish accent in the future. Only if we talk about a movie that's set in Ireland. <laughs> or if I feel like it. Wait, was that oh. Ireland? That might have been oh my God. West Country? I don't know. It wasn't the North, that's for sure. Lots of places have a North. <laughs> uh, let's start with hot throb- heartthrobs and hairdos. Woo! So who, uh, top three hotties, go. Who's going? You are. Jess, who's your top three hotties? My top three hotties. Okay, so number one is Howl. Like, he just, you got it. It's yeah, okay, gotta be no, Sophie uh, with yeah. short hair. He has that smooth skin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And number three is gonna be all the food porn. <laughs> Wait, who is number two? Sophie with the short hair. Oh, I'm, yes. Okay, yeah. yes. And all the food porn. Okay, yeah. all right. That's fair. I really want uh, bacon and eggs oh, uh, after watching that, that movie. That thick cut bacon was so mm-hmm. good looking. Just the sliced bread. Like, I've never right? been that interested in bread in my entire life until I watched just. Yeah, it yep. worked. It worked for me. It did. So I only have one hottie, and it's Calcifer. Get it? Because he's, <laughs> he's a fire. He's a fire demon. He's my hottie. <laughs> um, and even though the way his voice is described in the book is very different from Billy Crystal's performance, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed Billy Crystal in the movie. I did, too. I think this was one of Billy Crystal's better roles. I mean, it's... Like, in the future, like at this point? Yeah. It's... I'll allow it. I mean, he's had some good ones. No, I mean, like, as of, like, a certain point in time. Ah, uh, so it's good later Billy Crystal. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. All right, I'll take it. Yeah. Sam, who are your hotties? Um, so mine are kind of, like, question marks, because turnip head, I guess. Uh, eh? Okay. I mean, eh? And then Howl, definitely, but I think more book Howl than movie Howl. Yeah, I found book Howl more attractive. Yeah, for sure. I'll take either. I don't care. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't say no to movie no, hell, but if I had a choice, book. Uh, now, top have both <laughs> at the same time. Is this the fan fiction we're writing right now? Ooh. Been writing it since we started recording. Uh, I'm surprised you haven't been working on it for a long time. Um, top three styles, Jessica. Okay, so uh, Howell's topping my list again, specifically when he's in the king's uniform. Yeah. Oh yeah. Got I'm also the man going in to uniform. give one to Sophie's mom when she stops by with the peeping bug. That was a clutch dress. That was. Okay, yeah. yeah. And uh, number three is more for the appearance that is brought on by Attitude. Uh, Sophie's hat after Howell used magic to make her dress so pretty. Oh, yes. That was great. <laughs> yep, that was great. Sam, your top styles? Um, Sophie's hat. Oh, wow. Sophie's hat's getting right. a lot of love. Um, and then I loved Markle's old man cloak. Oh, my God. Yes. That I was so adorable. wanted that old man cloak. It was great. Every time you put it on, he turned into old man. It was awesome. Because he's still short, yes. but he's just got, like, a thick beard. And he's just Joss Hutcherson's voice trying to be deeper. It was great. It was great. great. I, yeah, I, I did really enjoy that. Um, Wait, did you just have the That was just a two. Two? Yeah. So I only have one. Uh, I really dig Howell's half bird look. Nice. When he's like, he's trying not to turn into the beast like the other wizards, but he's like kind of stuck. And so he's just like got these black feathers. And I just, who doesn't love a dude who can pull off feathers? Right? So true. Yes. There's Howell. Howell. Howell can pull off feathers. That's who. I mean, only Howell. How about that? I mean, I bet David Bowie. He can pull off feathers. Oh, yeah. He can, but he could do anything. Yeah. Mm, Jared. How influenced. Do you think Howell's design was by David Bowie? Oh. 
You know? I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised. He does have kind of an androgynous thing going for him. He does. Uh, you know what? I, I should actually add a second outfit. Um, okay. I didn't like it at first, but I'm coming around to Howell's one dangling earring. Yeah. Okay. I didn't like it at first, but now I'm like, you know what? It works. He, he pulls it off. He does. The single dangling earring on one side. It's... Yeah, he does. I'm going to allow that. Yeah. Yep. I'm glad you can allow something on a cartoon character. That was made 15 years ago and <laughs> they don't need my help or approval. Yeah. No. no. Yeah, yeah. Love you. This podcast is about expressing opinions that have no influence. <laughs> All right. Time for some quizzes and questions. Yes. Uh, Anna or Jess, do you want to, who wants to go first? Jess, why don't you go first? have a lot. Oh, okay, good. Bring it. Want me to go last? No, no, no bring, bring it. it. Bring it. Okay, all right. Question one. I didn't number them, so I'm not going to keep saying numbers because I'm going to lose count. <laughs> out of all the things in the book that they cut out, what do you wish they kept in the movie? Oh, God, that's really hard. I I understand why they cut so many things out. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, you couldn't possibly... The book is huge. You couldn't yep. possibly fit... Everything. Everything in. And just, like, if you haven't read the book, listeners, it's a very fast read. It goes quickly. There's just a lot that happens. Um, but I think... I might say all everything that happens in Wales, just because there's a lot of great backstory, mm-hmm. and you, you get to understand Howell so much more. Yeah. Especially with Marie. Yeah. Although, I don't know. I also... I really enjoy, um, there's a lot of female characters who don't really get much play in the movie. Mm-hmm. So Mrs. Penstemon and then Mrs. Fairfax and Sophie's two sisters. Like, there's just a lot of stuff going on with them that is that mm-hmm. is really great. They're all really yeah. well-developed characters, and, and they're kind of left out of the movie. Again, I understand why, but mm-hmm. I miss them. Yes. Sam, what about you? Um, for me, it's, it's like, it's tossed up between Sophie's family at the beginning mm-hmm. and, like, the the... Um, how she kind of a lot of the actions she takes or doesn't take in the book is because she doesn't want to talk to her. she doesn't want to find her. she doesn't want to confront her family yeah so you know she puts off finding Letty uh, for quite a few chapters because mm-hmm. she doesn't want to know what Letty's going to think of her and I like that I feel like that was a really interesting um, byplay. Yeah, and it's a lot of insight into her she It does. is a lot of insight into, into Sophie. And then I also, I miss the hats. I miss <laughs> Sophie talking to the hats. Sophie talking to the hats. Seeing how what seeing what they did to people. Yep. Um, I really, I did enjoy it. I did enjoy that in the, in the book. So it would have been nice to see that. But I, I get, like, when just mentioned, like, Sophie has no magic and, you know, she's just able to do what she can in the, in the movie and be a heroine without it. I mean, I do appreciate that, but I did miss the magic a little oh, bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sophie having that magic of her own that, like, is just kind of exists within her. And it's the very, it's this own unique skill that she has to bring life to things. Right. Yeah, I do miss that, too. Yeah. Jess, do you have anything that you miss from the, from the book? Uh, I miss the cloak that also turned you into a horse. Oh, yes! yes. Uh, that that was, an... was also... I mean, I love Old Man Markle, but I also would have liked Horse Markle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and honestly, like, I would have enjoyed seeing how they animated the brawl between the Witch of the Waste and Howl. Oh, yeah. When they're... And, like, the mm-hmm. mermaids in the sea and the clouds. I think that would have been really cool to animate. Yeah. And, again, that doesn't fit the way that they were going with the story. No, no, but... no, no, no. But... <laughs> yeah. It would have been cool. Things that could have been. Yep. All right. Next question. Uh, Sophie's ability. That is actually one of my next questions. Um, what do you think of the change that Sophie is an undiscovered witch in the book to having no explicit powers in the movie? 
I, I love her powers in the book. I do too. And I love the way that all of the hints are dropped and then she doesn't she doesn't even realize all the things that she's making happen until yep. Mrs. Penstemon tells her. Yeah. So, yeah, I do I do miss her powers. Yeah. And like the one of the things I did appreciate about the book is when Sophie finds out, it doesn't change who she is. No. She doesn't let it like change her actions or her mood or anything like that. She's just like, "Oh. Oh, duh. Of course. That's that's what, what that's what's going." And so she just she keeps Not living her life. To do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I I think just to your point, like it, it, there is something to be said for she, in the movie. She doesn't need magic. Magic is mm-hmm. what makes her special. Yeah. And so I, I do see the the value in that. But on the other hand, like it irks me. And it's like the dude has magic and she doesn't. It's, yeah. I want her to have her own magic. And she does. I mean, I, I'm very much. It definitely bothers me anytime there's a female character who gets power taken away from her. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I feel also very empowering because. She can take all this stuff that is completely out of her depth and say, all right, well, I guess I'm dealing with this now. And she does. Yeah. So it's, I, I'm not, I don't think I like that she doesn't have powers, but I don't think I dislike it either, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. We're at neutral. That's fair. Right. I, I can see, I can see both sides. I'm, I'm Switzerland. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so next question. Um. Would this movie has worked as a live action? And if so, who would you have cast? <gasps> Ooh. Oh, this will be fun. Okay. Oh. So wait, are we doing a live action like now? Um, I will say whatever you want. Oh. Oh, God. That's even more pressure. <laughs> uh, who? Yes. I think it would absolutely work as a live action. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope that there are some producers out there listening this would be a great movie to turn into a, a great book to turn into a live action movie. You should do it. I mean, Disney's I doing it. Wait, Disney is? I mean, they're turning all of their cartoons into live actions. Oh, yes. I was like, if Disney's doing no, this. No, 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 no. Yes, they should. Yeah. Um, I mean, don't say, I'm not saying Disney cast... should make this into the movie. I'm not saying Disney's turning cartoons yes, into live actions. Yes, I see what you're saying now. I think I would cast Benedict Cumberbatch as Howl. Really? Uh... Okay, well, if you're gonna go tall, lanky, British route, why wouldn't you cast um, Tom Hiddleston as Howell? Oh. Yeah, he would be a great Howell. Tom Holland as Michael? Oh my god, Tom Yes! Holland. That'd be very fun. That would be cute. Amazing. Uh, oh, who would be a good Sophie, though? Ah, uh, Lily James. Uh, you know what? Really? I, I like her, but I don't... Her? Yeah. Okay. I haven't seen anything really extraordinary out of her yet. I I don't think I've seen her anything that really challenged her or okay. me. Well, I think River um, Song should be Mrs. Fairfax or her or her mom. River Song. Or, oh, Alex Kingston. Yep. Or the uh, mom. What about um, Maisie? Is it Williams? Oh, Arya. Yeah, as Sophie. Oh, she, oh she's a little good. young for Benedict Cumberbatch, though. Yes. Yes, she is. Okay, so if we want someone a little bit older than that for Sophie. And then me would like to offer up Jewel State as Sophie, but she might be a little bit too old for it now. But, well, but we're dreamcasting. We're dreamcasting. So. It's okay. She still plays young. Yes. Yeah, yeah she's got that the youthful face. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, All right, I want to see this movie now. Right? <laughs> I want to cast Matthew Reese as someone, though. Just because he's Oh, Welsh. he could be Howell. He could totally be Howl. Matthew Reese could be Howl. Yeah. Back or he more. could he could be Suleiman. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. When he comes back to life. Hmm. 
I don't know. I don't feel like I'm really happy with any of the um, choices for uh, Sophie yet. Yeah. Mm. What about Dakota Blue Richards? Which one's she? She was the one who was in the Golden Compass, but now she's um, True Love from Endeavor. Oh. Okay. Oh, sure. I I, I really good. like her in Endeavor. Yeah. Um. Hmm. Is it is it too cliche to say Emma Watson is Sophie? Oh, yeah, that could work. That could totally work. That could definitely that work. Would, yeah. Mm-hmm. Dress is so similar to Belle's dress from the live action movie. I feel like it'd be a really easy transition for her. Right. She's right. She's got the dress. She so that's totally really all you it. need. Yeah. And the British accent. Mm-hmm. Done. Two for right. two. We're done. We've we've done it. <laughs> Check. Question. Um. So uh. What was your interpretation of Sophie's curse? Do you think, and part two of that question is, do you think they should have made it more explicit? Oh, I just thought of someone else who'd be great for Sophie. Okay. Um, but I can't think of the actress's name. She plays Shuri in Black Panther. Oh, oh that's Tisha Wright. Yes. yes. Oh, she would be a great yes. Sophie. Okay. Yes. All right. Sorry. I am ready yes, to move on right. to the next question. All right. Letitia Wright. She's Sophie. We're done. Okay. Perfect. Okay. Uh, so... It's, sorry, Jessica. Interpretation of Sophie's Curse, and then what was the second half of that? Uh, do you think they should have made it more explicit, or was it like pretty obvious what was going on? Ooh. I mean, I didn't get it until somebody <laughs> pointed it out no. to me. But I'm also not like the kind of person who reads a lot into things, so it might like I may not be the best person to ask this question. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I I'm glad they didn't spell oh. it out. I'm not sure. I 100% understand the rules around the curse, but I also have only seen the movie once, so it probably would make more sense going back and like watching exactly when. And doesn't to me. I mean, it's cl- it's. I liked that I discovered it gradually over the course of the movie. That hey, wait a minute, this is not. This is, this is not the same. It's she's changing and. I don't know. I'm glad they didn't make it more explicit. Yeah, no, I don't think it, I don't think making it more explicit would have been better. Yeah. But again, like, I didn't get it. It makes me want to watch the movie again, which is probably a good thing. That's good. That's always a good answer. Yeah. Honestly. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, um, it's something that I, I feel like happens so naturally that you almost don't realize it's happening or, and you don't necessarily notice that you don't know what's not happening um but I, on my most recent rewatch i actually tried keeping track of all the times because there's it's not just old sophie versus young sophie there's like young sophie and like 40 something sophie and mm-hmm. then 90 something Sophie. yeah it and, like, seems like there's like, like a there's scale very clear yep nations and it's i i very quickly lost track oh yeah <laughs> but it, it, it i i found it was a very well done motif um I, I don't know how we avoided talking about this so far, but when she's racing up the steps with the Witch of the Waste, and it's like the old That's lady's racing scene. up the steps in the ridiculous heat, and like they're both scene. just like suffering so much in the heat and getting up there, and the witch is practically melting. Oh, that was God, great. So good. It was hilarious. And does she, does her age vary as she's going up the steps? I'm trying to remember now. Not as much as it does in other scenes. Okay. Like so, by the time she gets to the to Suleiman, like she's much younger. She's in back. In, she's like in the forties. But when she's climbing up the steps, she's still kind of. I yeah. Think she's she's less hunched over. By I think she's more. She stands up straighter mm-hmm. by the time she gets to the top step. 
Yeah. But she's still, like, her age. Yeah. That's a great scene, and I feel like I could just rewatch that scene over and over again. Oh, it's hilarious. Yes, it is. Trails. Jess, do you have any other questions? Um, no, that was all of them. You guys did super good. <gasps> Thank, oh, you. Thank you! So I just have a couple of questions, and I think they're pretty quick. So would you recommend that newcomers read the book first or watch the movie first, and why? Ooh, I would say it depends on if the newcomer is super judgmental about book adaptations. <laughs> <laughs> Listener, know thyself. And then went into the book, and I love both so much. I don't know if because I can be kind of judgmental about book adaptations in a movie, so I, I I find I it's better if I watch the movie first and then read the book. Um, I've started listening to this podcast, which helps me get over being really judgmental about book adaptations. <laughs> oh, yay! Yeah, You've I done wonder. Some good in the world. Yay! We're a positive influence. I wonder if I would have enjoyed the movie more if I hadn't read the book first. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I think I should have watched the movie first. Yeah. Well, not because not because the movie's bad. No, the movie's lovely. It's just because it is so different. There was so much of the book that I loved that I wanted to see animated. Yeah. That I was disappointed that it wasn't there. And so that kind of colored my, not opinion, but just, it, it colored the movie a little bit for me. You weren't able to enjoy what was there because you were watching for what wasn't there. Exactly. You were waiting for the stuff between the claps. Yes. Yeah. That's exactly what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I just have one other quick question. So, younger sister Jess, yes. uh, what are your thoughts on how being the youngest has impacted your life? Oh, yes, that's right. You're the youngest of three sisters. She is. Um, and I'm clearly the most magical and talented, so I don't know what the question is. <laughs> I mean, I've lived with the stereotype of being the youngest child and whatever it means, and I, I feel like uh, I think it means you're spoiled, is what it means. Jess. Sorry, I'm fine. <laughs> you, did you get that out? You, you, you good now? Yeah, I'm the middle child, so I need a lot of attention. What can I say? <laughs> um, I mean, it's it's kind of an interesting you really want to go into the historical nuance of how the rule of three kind of shapes our culture and basically you see it in almost all forms of storytelling from like Mm. there's the rule of three in comedy to if it's a fairy tale it's gonna be three things and it's it's just really interesting and there's got to be something said for that um but uh, long story short, yeah, I'm the best of the three of them, so I don't really know. <laughs> so mom and dad are going to listen to this, and uh, then they're going to let us know if they agree. Yeah. And I just want to point out which of us has given them grandchildren. Oh, it's not you. Children. So like, there. Really, your dog needs scouts. Yeah, you know what? I gave them a, a, I have a cat that they can play with whenever they want to. Uh, I mean, I have a cat, too, but she hides all the time. Yeah. I love how that, like, parents' love is dictated by how many grandchildren they're given. <laughs> Look, <So>. if... <laughs> clearly... <laughs> not not for everyone. Just for our parents. Specifically all my mother. All the one in the world, and yet until my uterus gets into gear. So, my parents met Stephen for the first time, and, like, a few weeks later, I he was not there, and I said, Mom, what did you think of Steven. Did you like him? And she said, of course I liked him. He's my best chance at having grandkids. <laughs> for my whole adult life, there's been a box in the basement labeled Toys for Grandchildren. That has been there since I was in college. There has been a lot of pressure. 
I mean, to be fair, my parents also, like, have been dying for grandkids, and so I realize that in the hierarchy of things, it's always going to be those who produce the grandchildren. But it's also very freeing. It is like, very freeing. Like, oh, I defy <laughs> your expectations of me. I'd be like, see ya, sayonara, peace out, bye-bye. Yeah, don't tell my mom this. I definitely did not have my kids for her. <laughs> Children. If anything, it's me who's Sophie who's really defying expectations. That's right. You are. Taking back the power. Yeah. Good job, Jess. I you, need it all because I'm... You have magic, or you don't. Either way, you're empowered. Yeah! Yeah! Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sam, what are your questions? Uh, so only have two. Um, in the movie, what the heck was Suleiman's endgame? Oh, I don't know. I really Seriously. don't. I did not understand what he was going for. She was going for. Jess, you... you are you, about that. You are the expert on this. What the hell? It's a really creepy theory. Are you ready? Yes. Yeah. So, this is um, not really confirmed, but... So, if you recall, Solomon, you recall her little page boys. Yes. All looked about, like, 13-year-olds, all identical versions of what Howell could have looked like at 13. Ugh. Uh... Age that Solomon had him as a student, probably. Yeah. So, my theory is her endgame was just to get Howell back the entire time. Not necessarily, like, in a weird master-student kind of way, but just as a master-student kind of way, if you know what I mean. Ew. Wow. Like, that's sad. That's weird. Yeah. I mean, it's plausible. That's the sad part. That's my, and that's, you know, there's a whole lot that could be unpacked there, but I think it's it's mostly just, like, how was her best chance at having a successor? He was supposed to be the one who, you know, started working for the king after her, mm-hmm. and he left, made that deal with Calcifer at the age of what those page boys looked like they could have been. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That is the same age, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. I think she's just stuck in that cycle. And was it just me or was that dog kind of weird looking? What he was his chicken feet? I love him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was great. He always, he He's only made that one character. noise, but. And by flapping his ears, there's nothing wrong with him. <laughs> Um, so then my last question is, why have Markle be a young child? That's a really good question. Because in the book, he's a teenage... I mean, he's like, what, 18, 19? I think 15. Oh, oh okay. So why is he a kid? Is it is it because of, like, Japanese culture obsession with youth? I think it's more just to reinforce the found family theme. That's mm. kind of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have Daddy Howell and Mama Sophie and baby Mar- Markle. Yeah, it, it, because he's a child, there's that level of innocence, and mm-hmm. yep, that's a really that's. I'll, I'll buy it. Oh yeah, I'll give you that one, Jess. I think yeah. you're right. Okay. All right. Those those are my questions. All right. Is it time for some fake awards? Woo! Oh. Who wants to go first? Sam, you go first. Okay. So my Jeff Goldblum award this time goes to Christian Bale. Oh, okay. Because he was just Christian Bale the whole time for me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He didn't even lose weight for this part. (laughs) He did not do an utter transformation at all. And he didn't speak with his Welsh accent. No. I was was very disappointed in that. But yeah, so that's that's my Jeff Goldblum award. I'm I'm desperately trying to think of how to do a Welsh accent right now. It's it's hurting my brain. Just, I mean, have you ever heard Matthew Reese talk in his normal accent? Oh, yes. But I still can't do it. Welsh is hard. It is hard. Um... I mean, he wasn't, like, when he guest starred on Archer, 
like oh as him as, as basically doing himself. his own accent. It was it was beautiful, and not only that, but they actually did a fantastic job of drawing him. Oh yeah, so he, he looked just like himself. He, anim- he was animated to look like himself. I was like, oh man, even even animated Matthew Reese is very attractive man. <laughs> so that's how Sam feels. Yee-hee. Uh, all right. Uh, my best? Jeff Goldblum yeah. award goes to Calcifer. Nice. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Uh, other awards? Um, so my best moving castle award goes to the initial version of Hal's moving castle mm-hmm. before he falls apart. Oh, yeah. I didn't, it kind of made me sad when the yeah, castle fell apart. I was really sad. I liked that castle. I did, too. And um, I guess to fly at the end, so. Yeah, that's true. I guess. That's but pretty so... great. But, like, it had, like, and there was definitely more stuff to it than in the book. Yeah. Like, like the balcony. Right? And... It was nice. It was fun. It was fun. I want a moving castle. God, chicken legs. And chicken legs. What is with the chicken legs? It's like a Baba Yaga thing. Right? Yeah. I, think it's a, I think it's a nod to Baba Yaga. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and then my final award is... The Maybe I Should Have Seen the Movie First Award goes to Hell's Moving Castle. Oh, yep. Fair enough. Uh, I just have one more award. The Rando Award uh, goes to Prince Turnip. Nice. Um, Seriously, (laughs) dude, you just show up and are like, you're my true love. And it's like, no, no, no. no. Okay, bye. Weird. He's like, I'll be back. And you're like, no, you won't. No. No, you won't. It was weird. That you never call. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Jess, your fake awards? I uh, I have also quite a few okay. fake awards. Um, my Jeff Goldblum goes to uh, Billy Crystal for playing his true spiritual form of a sassy fire demon. Heck nice. Yeah. Uh, the biggest mood award goes to Howl's temper tantrum over his bad dye job. <laughs> I mean, we've all been upset about a bad haircut, but that was extreme. It was. Oh, my God. Yeah. The best clapback award is going to Sophie with "Too bad I'm not younger, or I'd give you a hand." Ah, that was great on the stairs. <laughs> so, I'd like to award a sexual tension award to Howl and Calcifer. Oh, Castle and Calcifer says, "Please be gentle with me." Oh, hey, that's that's some fan fiction you could write too, right? <laughs> they could write in heaven already. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, my award for that line totally shouldn't have worked, but it does anyway, goes to when Howell says, I finally have something I want to protect. It's you. Aww. Yeah, it doesn't come across as patronizing. It's actually really no, sweet. No, it is. It Aww. could be, like, patronizing and paternalistic, but it's not. It's not. I, I don't know. This is the I one like time it. Christian Bale pulls it off. Yeah, yeah, we'll give him that. We'll give him that one. We'll give him that one. They cut out the original line where he says, I finally have something I want to protect. It's you, the Joker. <laughs> Rachel! Rachel! <laughs> Rachel, wake up! Um, when our daughter was younger, and we'd always... She would always fall asleep in the car, and it's like, don't fall asleep in the car, we need you to fall asleep when we get home, so you can take a long nap in your bed or your crib instead of, like, in the car seat where you then have to be moved. So, like, five minutes from our house, she'd start, like, passing out, and we'd just start yelling at her, Rachel! Rachel! <laughs> and, it, and it works sometimes. My brother taught my niece how to do Bane. Oh, my God. I was born in the dark. <laughs> so we no one like... cared who I was without the mask. <laughs> so every time we'd be like, Addy, do Bane. <laughs> oh, my God. Three-year-old Bane impression. It's That's amazing. pretty fantastic. <laughs> 
Oh man! So just is that all your awards? That is that is all my. I mean, I have about three hundred more, but yeah. uh, that's that's for me. Oh. I keep those for me. Well, thank you so much. Oh, of course. Thank you guys for having me on. I'm always happy for an excuse to talk about Howl's Moving Castle. Yeah, no, I I don't think either of us could have spoken quite as eloquently no. about the film as you did. It's clear there's a lot of love there. So thank you for sharing yes. that enthusiasm. Yes. Indeed. And I hope our listeners are inspired, if they haven't already, to Just read and watch. watch the movie. Mm-hmm. There this is, is a good one. This is very enjoyable. Yes. Books, uh, that follow Ingery and its wizards and a certain couple of witches and wizards who who are in this book so i recommend they they read those if they would like to and don't get confused there is castle in the sky is the sequel book castle in the air is another ghibli movie that is completely unrelated yeah there's no connection between yes i will just say there actually is a lot of diane Wynne jones books out there i've read a few now but i'm like i want to track down more yes and go to your local library and ask them to order diana and jones books so they'll start putting more of them yes. on the shelves so that future little girls can read Howl's moving castle and exactly not and have we to will wait. be including a list of recommendations from jess for diana and jones in our show notes so make sure you check them out and you read other books by diana and jones just read that's just all read. i want you to do exactly uh so yeah is that I think did we just come it. to the end of another I think we great did. episode? We definitely did. But next episode, we will be talking about All the President's Men by oh. Carl Bernstein and Bob Woodward. This is, this is a very different book. We're yes, taking a yes, sharp turn here. Yes, this is the nail-biting thriller of how two small-town reporters, Dustin Hoffman and Robert Redford, I mean Carl Bernstein and <laughs> Bob Woodward, brought down President Nixon. And yes, I tried to make a, dope, a joke about Deep Throat as well, but they were all hard to swallow. Wah, wah. <laughs> I couldn't help it. <laughs> well, while you're choking on that terrible pun, please help us spread the word. Rate and review on iTunes. Tell your friends, coworkers, and distant relatives how great Adapt with Anna and Sam is. And we want to hear from you. Send us your questions, your comments, and your six degrees to adaptedwithannaandsam at gmail.com. Or you can post everything on Facebook. You can find us at Adapted with Anna and Sam. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Adapted Podcast. Let's keep the conversation going. Thanks for listening to Adapted with Anna and Sam. I'm Anna, and I wish The Fisher King was based on a book. I am Sam, and I wish Newsies were based on a book. I'm Jess, and I wish Game of Thrones Season 8 was based on a book. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, sick bird. Bye. Bye.